And I want to talk to you this morning about victory at the gates. Victory at the gates. That's what I want to talk to you about. Did you know that God loves to display His power? I mean, some people think that God like is stingy or God waits or He holds His power back or He's just not willing or at some time or some other place He will. Did you know that God, I mean, He loves to display His power. I'm not talking about it just gives Him giggles or I'm not talking about every once in a while He feels like it. He lives and He loves to display His awesome, majestic, glorious power. He loves to. He can't wait to. He can't wait for somebody to give him the opportunity. He will show up and display his power. He loves to display his power for me, for you, and for anybody who will believe he loves to display it. Loves to. I mean, he's like, come on, come on, come on. I'm waiting. Give me a chance. He loves to display his power. It's true. He loves to. He lives to. It's what he's all about. But his name is God Almighty. Hey, catch that. El El Yon, the Most High God. You don't get that way if you're bashful about displaying your power. He loves to display His power. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that. Did you know that every major move of God that has ever happened in history anywhere on this planet has always been preceded by God, the Lord God Almighty, El El Yon, the God who is the God of all gods, He has come and He has reintroduced His power and His presence uh, to the people of that place to change their outlook, to give them hope, to give them courage, uh, to give them uh, an expectation that the gates and the barriers and the things that are resisting in their lives cannot withstand His great power working in them and through them to accomplish their purpose in life and to have them step into the promises of God. He always comes and does that. It's the truth. It's really the truth. He reintroduces uh, us to himself so we can have confidence, we can have courage, we can have hope to do all he said that he could do. I'm telling you, God loves to display his power. He loves to display his power. We just need to say that about every time we need. Did you know God loves to display his power? Pastor, did you know that God loves to display his power? Do you know that, brother? God loves to display His power. He's not bashful. He's not withholding. He loves to display His power. Loves to display His power. And He, by the way, has some to display. If you create it all and you sustain it all, I suspect you have some power to, to display, don't you? God loves to display His power. He, he, he displays His power through His name. He displays His power through His blood. And he displays his power through his promises, just in a a few ways. But that's a couple of ways I want to look at this morning. Uh, Because he's he's ready to display his power to restore his glory in us and in the earth. And God's moving again among us. He's reintroducing himself to us again. And that's why I'm excited. Because when God begins to reintroduce himself to a generation, to a people, to a place, you know what that tells me? He's getting ready to display his power. He's getting ready for a historical move of God that reestablishes His dominion and His glory and His power among a people. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. It's true. And for those people that have been crying out, just like uh, the, the children of Israel did when they were captivated under Pharaoh, when they begin to cry out, God says, hmm, 
I'm going to show up. I'm going to change their crying out into moving out. I'm going to change their expectation. I'm going to change where they live. I'm going to change uh, their, their captivity, and I'm going to turn it into liberty. I'm going to turn it into freedom. Because when you cry out, God's going to show up until you move out in a good way. You hear what I'm saying? Moving out from your captivity. And so that's the truth. So I want to look this morning at Exodus chapter 3, and let's see how God reintroduces his power to a people and how he changes the expectation of the people at the very gates of Pharaoh that are holding back their purposes and their promises and their destiny and all that God called them to be. All right? Now, here it is, Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read in uh, verse 7. I'm going to read several verses, okay? So hang with me. It's not a commercial. It's the most powerful thing. Okay, here we go. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Aren't you glad that God sees? Come on. It says here, He sees. We need to get that right, right at the beginning. God sees what's going on with us. God has seen the oppression of, of, my, of my people, He calls them, who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry. Aren't you glad of that too? He sees your oppression. He hears your cry. Because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I'm telling you, God's in touch with His people. He's in touch with where you live. He understands what you're going through. He knows your address. If you're born again, it's right here. His address. You there? But he's in touch with what's going on. He's seen your oppression. He knows uh, if you've had difficulty. He knows if you're having joy and gladness. He hears your cry, and he's seen uh, what's going on, and he knows your sorrow, or he knows your joy. He knows. He's in touch. But anyway, these people were in a tough place. So look here in verse Eight. It says, so I have come down, hallelujah, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land. Don't you notice when God puts you on a journey, it's going somewhere good? Oh, yeah. It may seem a little scary or a little difficult, but when God puts you on a journey, it's going someplace good. He's coming down to deliver them from someplace bad to someplace good. A land flowing Not a stingy land, not a barely get by land, but to a land flowing, hallelujah, come on, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites or the, you know, whatever, I I like that's like a parasite, but anyway, and and the Hevites and the, (laughs) because they have my stuff, I'm going to get it back, and the Jebusites, all right? All right, now, verse 9. Now, therefore, and behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, he's saying to Moses. He's talking to Moses here, the great deliverer. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. There's a little bit of a crisis of identity here. Who am I? Who am I, God? Who am I? You know, we we say that a lot when God asks us to do something. We go, well, who am I? Well, it's a little crisis of identity because the greater than lives in us, right? The greater than lives in us than he that is in the world. There's a greater... But anyway, Moses is going through this process. But the point I want to get to here is that people understand power. Do you know that? People understand power. They know 
what power is. They know if they can move against it. They know if they can overcome it. They know if they are overcome by it. People understand power and they understand authority much more than we realized. Moses understood power. He's saying, God, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh? God, don't you know that Pharaoh is in the earth the most powerful, even deified, godlike person? He is the most powerful man in the earth. God, who am I? Who am I, God, that I should go in and talk to this king? And by the way, He's not going to see me anyway. If I don't have enough power, you know, to threaten him or to somehow be a, you know, a problem to him, he's not even going to let me in the door. So who am I? Right? Issues going on. Moses wanted to know. But God answers Moses. He answers it in a very clear way. Look here in verse 12. This is what he said. So he said, God's saying to, to, to Moses this. He said, I, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you've brought this people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, I got to tell you what, that did something for Moses. When he said, who am I that I should go in, and how am I going to get this done? God, Lord Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator, sustainer of the heavens and the earth and all the entire universe, you know, El El Yon, God Almighty, that God says, I will be with you. That's what he said. Now, you know what Moses did? Look here in first thing. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed. But you've got to understand, you can't read over that word indeed. Because this is what I believe Moses did. I, I think he got the whole Indiana Jones thing going, you know? You know Indiana Jones? I think when God says, I'm going to be with you, I think Moses went from like this, God, I think he went like, indeed. You with me? Come on. There's something that happens to you when God says, I'm with you. There's something that changes. So now the question comes up, well, then what do I tell the children of Israel? It says on down here in the, in the Scripture. You know, they're going to want to know, you know, what kind of power is going to deliver them and who's going to deliver them. Because they're going to take one look at me and they're going to go, I don't know, Moses. Pharaoh's powerful. Who's going to deliver us out of this place, out of this gate, out of this bondage? Who's going to deliver us? So look here what he says. He goes on and he says, well, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said, what's his name? Because there were a lot of gods in that time. And he says, what shall I say to them? And God says, verse 14, he said to Moses, tell them the I am who I am is sending and delivering you. And thus he said, you shall say to the children of Israel, the I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Wow, what happened? God began to reintroduce himself and his power. First to Moses with the rod, first to Moses with his name, and then he began to reintroduce himself to the children of Israel until the question was settled because he said, the I am that I am is going to deliver you. Now, let me give you a short working version of what that means. You know what that really means, the I am? Oh, well, it means a lot of things, but here's the working version. It means this. When God says I am, this is what it means. I am whatever you need me to be the moment you need me to be it. You get that? I am whatever you need me to be the moment you need me to be that I am. 
I am unlimited, I am unrestricted, and I am undefeatable. I am whatever you need me to be, whenever you need me to be that, I am. Hey! Now, where does that leave you? Free! Because nothing can keep him back. Nothing can hold him back. Nothing can hold you back. If he is I am, and the I am, the great I am that I am is going to come and work with you, hey, there's no limitations. There's no restrictions. There's nothing that can defeat you. Nothing can hold you back. Because he is I am in you and through you. Hallelujah. So what is God proving here? God's proving that he has the power to get you out through any gate by the power of his name. He displays his power through his name. It convinced the children of Israel. But you know what? There's more than that. God also proves he not only has the power to get you out through your gate, through the thing that's holding you back to your barrier, he also has the power to get you through, through the transition, through the, tra- through the, through, through the, you know, the traveling to your next place. He, get, he has the power to get you through, and it's the power of his blood that can cover and protect you. He can get you through. He loves to display his power through his name. He loves to display his power through his blood. This is what happened. In Exodus chapter 9, he begins to put 10 plagues on Pharaoh and the people. 10 plagues. And they were not pretty. Lice, frogs, dust, turned the river into blood. I mean, some nasty stuff. You wouldn't want to have been there. It was not a good day or a week or time to be in Egypt if you were not an Israelite. But if you were an Israelite in Egypt, it was okay. Because God made a distinction between those who were called by his name, who lived in Goshen, and all the pagan that lived, in, Israel, or lived in, in Egypt. In other words, every plague that came upon the land where Pharaoh lived, where they lived in captivity, nothing touched them. They had perfect water. They didn't have any lice. They had no frogs in their bread and their bed. Come on. They, they, everything was good. They had light when it was totally dark. They had light. Are you there? God is able to make a distinction between you and other people. God is powerful enough to make a distinction. You can live in the midst of total chaos and everything around you doesn't have to affect you because God is able to make a distinction in your life. He can clearly say, this is mine. There can be darkness, destruction, plague, death, destruction all around you, but if you are called uh, you know, by the name of the Lord, God can make a dis- dis- distinction of you. Now, that's some power. That's some pretty good power. In fact, God said, Moses, tell Pharaoh, I raised him up just so I could display my power. I'm telling you, God loves to display his power. Loves to. How much power does he have? All. Everything. He has that much power. So he made a distinction. And then when the 10th plague came, it was a powerful plague. It was a horrible plague because this is what it was. It was actually the death of the firstborn of all in Egypt, people and cattle. God was determined to cause Pharaoh to let his people go. He was determined to show that he had enough power to come against the most powerful entity in the earth and to cause people to be liberated. Now, I don't know what's holding you back today, but it doesn't matter what it is. There is someone that I know that's more powerful than anything in this earth that's holding you back or holding you in or holding you captive. It's not the end of your life. It's not a place of desperation. It's not a place of expiration. Come on. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place of breakthrough. God's waiting to display his power at. That's the truth. You've got to know that as a believer. You've got to get up knowing that in the morning. It's true. It's true. And so what happens? So this plague is going to cover. 
the whole land. It's going to kill the firstborn. So what does is, what is, uh, Moses tell the people? God told him, he said, Moses, tell the people to take a lamb. Get a lamb and take it as a sacrificial lamb and as a meal, a Passover meal. Because I'm about to pass over the land and everything that does not have the mark of the blood or the covering of the blood is going to die. And so I want you to take some blood and I want you to sprinkle it on the doorpost and the lintels of your door, on the entrance to your door. So when the death angel passes over and sees the blood of the lamb... He will spare your life from death and destruction and cause you to have life in the midst of death. That's some power in the blood. Could you imagine how excited the Israelites were that day when John the Baptist rose up in the New Testament and he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Could you imagine? They knew the stories. They knew what happened in Egypt. They knew it was the blood of the Lamb that protected the people from death and destruction and brought life. Could you imagine when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, there's the Lamb, the message in that, the truth in that? There is the Lamb. His blood, His shed blood will deliver you from death and destruction. His blood. They, they saw that. They understood that. It was clear, very clear. And they, they rejoiced in it. I know they did. But what's God saying here? He says, listen, my name has the power to get you out. My blood has the power to cover you and to keep you all the way through, but I'm not done yet. I have some more power. I have the power of my promise. Oh, yeah, the power of my promise to you. I promise to bring you out to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not just going to bring you through the gate. I'm just not going to keep you in the journey away from your enemy. I have the power to bring you into what I promised you, the power. How much power did he have? Well, let's just start by the fact that he opened the Red Sea. That's pretty good power. And when the enemy came in after him, what happened? He closed it. Did in the enemy. He covered them with a cloud by day and fire by night. How, how powerful is that? Let me just give you a little heat in the cold desert by night. And by the way, I'll just be air conditioning for you in the daytime. And by the way, whenever the enemy tries to find you, I'll just bring my glory cloud down and they'll get confused and they can't see you. You'll be here, they'll be there, you'll be safe, they'll be confused. It'll be good. And by the way, Exodus 23 says, I'm going to send my angel before you into the land that I'm bringing you into and I will tell you that when my angel goes before you, he will destroy your enemies, he will overcome those things that oppose you, he will bring you in and establish you in the land. What's God saying? God proves that he loves to display his power. He proves that he has the power to get you out. Come on, you there? He has the power to get you through, and he has the power to get you in. That's a pretty good uh, bunch of power, wouldn't you say? And listen, this is God's idea. Are you there? This is my idea. This is God's idea. God loves to display his power to get you out, get you through, and to get you in. Hallelujah. Now, that was Old Testament. Does it work now? I don't know. What do you think? I think we should find out, don't you? I mean, we got a couple minutes. It's Easter Sunday. You came here to hear something, to do something, right? Don't get nervous. Hey, let's just look at this thing. Look here in Matthew 16. Turn over there. Let's just take a look at this thing. I'm telling you, this is, this, this is a powerful message that, that's just going to liberate some folks this morning. I mean, I, 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 just, I, I just feel in the spirit there's some people going to kick down some gates and kick down some barriers and kick down some walls. Come on. I think there's going to be a mass exodus this morning. 
Come on, why not? Why not? You're going to be looking at your gate, your berry that's holding back your dream, your destiny a whole lot different here in just a minute if you're not already. Come on. That thing that opposed you is not meant to overcome you. It's meant to glorify God. It's, it's a place where he wants to display his power. Because God, did I tell you this morning God loves to display his power? Did I tell you that? I mean, he does. He loves to display his, I'm overwhelmed with the fact he loves to display his power. You know, we do meetings all over the world, and you know it doesn't matter where I go, you know what God loves to do? Yeah, he loves to display his power. He's all about it. He's happy to do it. He's like, son, would you just give me a shot here at this thing? Absolutely, Father, in the name of Jesus. Bam! Power! The blood of Jesus sets you free. Bam! Power! He loves, he loves to display his power. Are you in Matthew 16? All right, let's see if this is going to work for us today. Now, here we go again, Matthew chapter 16, and here's the whole scenario. There's going to be a reintroduction of the people to the, of the power and the person of God to give them hope and confidence that they can do what God's called them to do. This is his pattern. This is how God works. You can, you can begin to understand it and see it and experience it for yourself. This is what it says. Verse uh, about, um, da, 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 da. let's go to verse 13, all right? Chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So some said John the Baptist and some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? He's asking a couple of questions here. A couple of questions. They're important questions. Could you imagine being a disciple that day? Just take yourself there for a moment, okay? Picture yourself being one of the disciples. Jesus is with you. Thirteen of you. You're just kind of hanging out. You just come into Caesarea Philippi. You're walking along. And Jesus stops because there's something that he needs to ask you. And so you're standing around having a conversation. You love Jesus. He loves you. It's, right now it's pretty cool. Everything's good. Standing around, and then he asks this question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, this is, what he was, this is what he was doing. He was purposely trying to draw them to a conclusion and to an understanding of his identity. He, he needed to do this. He had to do this before he could go on. And so, basically what he's saying, hey, guys, what's the word on the street? What's the word on the street in downtown Hastings or Napier or Hawks Bay? What's, what's the word? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say Jeremiah or some Elijah or some, you know, a prophet. You know, one of, the, one, one of the good guys. You know, that's the word on the street. Wow, that's the word on the street? I, I think Jesus is probably thinking, well, when you get it right, the street will get it right. But until you get it right, I don't think the street's going to get it right. But anyway, if that's who men say I am, well, that's fine for the moment. But I'm about to change all that. And now the disciples, they might be getting just a little bit nervous because I believe at that very moment, now all of a sudden, I believe he steps up to them and I believe he's, now he's looking each one of them right in the eye. And then he says this question, but who do you say that I am? Whoa. It was okay to talk to Jesus about who the street word was. It was okay to say who the world said Jesus was, but now 
they're asking him, he's asking them a very personal question. Could you imagine Jesus just showing up one day right in your grill? Hey, who do you say that I am? And he wants an answer. It's not a rhetorical question. You with me? All of a sudden, could you imagine what would go through you? Jesus wants an answer. And the moment you answer, you know you're going to absolutely reveal your belief system. Because he's not looking for your Sunday school answer. He's not looking for your head knowledge answer. He's saying, in your heart of hearts, in your innermost being, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am to you. That's what he's saying. I believe that's the, the very question that the Spirit of God is moving over the church of the living God worldwide, and I believe that's the question he's asking the church of the living God today. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that I am? I believe that's the question. I believe that's a good question. And Jesus asked that because he had to. He had to bring his disciples into a place of identifying who he was, of understanding who he was, because he had a mission and he had a purpose for being on the earth. And that very question hinged upon his ability to either go forth and to begin to accomplish his purpose or to spend more time trying to reveal to his disciples his true identity. Now, good old Peter, he is getting nervous. If you've read the Bible, you know that Peter's rather impetuous. You know, he's just like goes off. Hey, ho! Like he likes, you know, speaks before he thinks kind of guy. But this time he gets it right. He gets the identity right. Look what he says here. Verse... um, 16, so Simon Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Listen, you can't know Jesus by your flesh. You can't know Jesus by your mind. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven gave you spiritual revelation is what he's saying. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice he didn't say I give you the keys to the kingdom? You can have the keys to the house, but you can get in and something be locked. He gave him the keys of, into and of. He gives you the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You, you've got to imagine when, when Peter stood up and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Could you imagine the 11 or 12 people there? Their mouth dropped. All of a sudden there was a revelation. Oh my gosh. Who's standing here in our midst in flesh and blood? Who's standing here? This is the Christ the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is the promised seed of David. This is the one who's going to elevate above us above all our enemies and conquer all our enemies. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us right there. Right there. Right there. That must have been something. It must have just been a riveting moment. I know it was because they never forgot it. They never forgot it. Now, that Jesus had identified himself, now that they know who he is. Now he can move on. So you know what Jesus does? This is absolutely mind-boggling. Now he can reveal his cause, and now he can do what he's sent to do. So what does Jesus do? Now that they know who he is, he steps up and he goes, I'm going to declare war. 
That's what he did. Make no mistake about it. He declared war. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What did he just do? He just declared war against the kingdom of darkness, against the very gates of hell, against the government of darkness. That's what he did. But he couldn't do that until his disciples said, oh, that's who you are. Once they found out he was Jesus and that he had the power to overcome because guess what? God loves to display his power. So once they find out who he is, it's like, Jesus, yeah, let's go for it. Come on, Jesus, yeah, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the conquering king. Come on, let's go to war. Yeah, let's go get these gates. Come on, we win. Let's go. Come on. He says, okay, boys, you want some weapons? They go, yeah, Jesus, give me some weapons. Come on, I want one. So he goes, okay, here you go, boys. Here's your weapons. Couple of keys. Jesus, we're going to war. Keys? He goes, yeah, revelatory words that bind the strong man so you can plunder his house. But Jesus, we're going to war. No, keys. Didn't you t- did you notice I told you where the location of the battle is? Where's that? At the gates. And so all you need is a key. Lock, unlock, open, close. You get it? The battle's at the gates. And whoever owns the gate overcomes. Whoever has the key overcomes. Whoever has the authority at the gate overcomes. You see, the battle is at the gates. Everything in your life has a gate in front of it. Every battle you'll ever face is at a gate. You go through gate, through gate, through gates, and through gates all your life. You keep going through, opening this destiny, opening this glory, opening this purpose, opening this blessing, opening... Come on. So many gates are in our lives. So many gates are like, seem like we can't overcome them. There's cultural gates. There's education gates. There's size gates. There's age gates. There's this gate. There's this. Come on. What are those? Just gates meant to be opened up and display the power of God. That's what they are. They're not meant to hold you back. They're where God wants to display his power and give you confidence. So the next gate you come to is like... Come on. That's what God calls us to do. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because the gates of Hades that he's talking about are the strongholds, if you will, of the enemy that hold humanity, the souls of humanity in bondage through sin, sickness, disease, deception, destruction, death. Those are horrible, horrible gates. And Jesus said, those gates shall not prevail against my church that I'm building. They shall not prevail. And just to prove it, you know where Jesus started his church? You know? He started his church at the devil's strongest gate. Just to prove. Just to prove that the devil's strongest gate could not overcome the church. So where did he start his church? Oh, yeah. He started his church at the grave, at Hades, at the devil's strongest gate. Hades is the devil's strongest gate. Did you know that? That's the strongest gate. So he just said, I'm going to start my church there. So when Jesus was being nailed to the cross and pouring out his life and his blood for our redemption, for the forgiveness of our sins, to reconcile us back to God, those who would believe in that act of of sacrifice, the devil was like, ha, 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 I told you. See, that Jesus is nothing. Look at him. He's on the cross, nailed on the cross, can't get down, can't get off. Ha, 
building some church? I don't think so. That's foolishness. Look at that guy struggling. All of his followers abandoned him except a few weak women. Hey. I win. Then when they wrapped him in the burial clothes and took him to the grave, right? There he was. There he was, wrapped in burial clothes, dead, laid in the tomb. The devil goes, ha, I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him. It's all over. I win. Hallelujah. The devil thought he'd won the war. But then something happened. Because the battle's at the gate. And because God loves to display his power. You know what happened, don't you? The spirit of the living God came and entered into Christ and raised him from the dead. Raised him up from the dead. And the angels came and rolled the stone away. Come on, the gate, the barrier, rolled the stone away. The gate, the barrier, and there was victory at the gate. Rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, by the way, but so we could get it and see and believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was a tremendous thing. So what do we understand from all this? Listen, we, we, we proved that Jesus proved that the devil's strong escape couldn't hold him. He proved that the church that he was building uh, would not be overcome by the devil, but the devil would, over, would be overcome by the Lord Jesus. It says in Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the church, speaking of Jesus, the church the, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So where did Jesus start his church? Right at the very strongest gate of the enemy. And Jesus revealed himself to be the Lord of the breakthrough. Now, furthermore, catch this action. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know what he did? He took the keys from the devil. Death, hell, and the grave. He took the keys. It's in Revelation. You ought to read it. So now every gate that the devil has in your life and my life, guess what? He doesn't even have the keys to his own gates. Every gate and barrier that's in your life and my life, it's fake locked. It's a, it's a facade. He doesn't even have any keys. So it just looks intimidating. There's no key on it. There's no lock on it. It's just a gate right there. It's not, it's not, it's not you know, unable to move. It's just like faking you out. And if that's not enough, as Pastor so elegantly said again and again this morning, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that overcame the gate, that overcame the power of the grave, that overcame the devil's strongest gate, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Hallelujah. Come on. Do you get it? So if the devil's strongest gate couldn't hold Jesus who was raised by the Spirit of God, then the devil's strongest gate in your life and my life can't hold us because we have the same power in us that conquered the grave, that opened the gate, that gave victory, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in us. Therefore, the devil has no gate in your life that cannot be broken down, blown open, and walked through in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We have victory at the gate. We have victory at the gate. It's true. <laughs> it was true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament, and it's true right now while Jesus is in heaven. It's still true. 
These are not just Bible stories that were one day for somebody someplace. They're for our learning and instruction. And any experience that was experienced here, we can experience now. That's the truth. Does it still work? Does it? You want to know? You ready for just a couple more scriptures? All right, turn to Acts chapter 3. I want to prove to you that God loves to display his power. And I'm going to prove to you that there has been victory at the gates. And I'm going to prove to you that every battle is still at the gate, but you have victory there. I want you to see this clearly in the Scriptures. Acts chapter 3. This is tremendous. Here in Acts chapter 3, it's, it, uh, uh, um, after Christ has ascended, gone into heaven, and give the commission, the great commission, to all the, the disciples who have come, become the apostles, Peter and John are on their way up for prayer, all right, to the temple to go pray. That's a good thing to do. Let's read about it, okay? Verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. Now listen, how audacious is of the devil to go to the very place he was defeated and to throw something down there to prove that he's not defeated or to make you think that he's not defeated. How audacious. How crazy is it the devil's been clearly defeated at the gates, overcome at the gates, conquered at the gates, and now after Jesus takes off, the devil goes, well, I'm going to see if I can just fool these boys. I'm going to lay a real hard case, lame from the mother's womb, right here at the gate. I'm going to test them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to deceive them and make them think they really don't have the victory at the gate. I'm going to put a, a lame person here from the mother's womb, right here. You catch it? You catch the action? You catch the scheme? You catch the plan? So Peter and John, they walk up. They come up here. But listen, they're coming up in a different way because God has been changing the expectation of the people and his power at the gates from Moses' time to Jesus' time to their time. There's been a change of expectation about what God can do at the gates, right? So here they come, and they walk by this guy. And look here in verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him uh, with John, Peter said to this lame guy, Look at us. Look at us. There had to be something on them and burning through them and something about them. Look at us. He demanded this lame man's attention. And then he said this. So verse 5, So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Did you know that the world has an expectation about what the church can give, what the church can do? Did you know this community in Auckland, or excuse me, in a, (laughs) hallelujah, Jesus. Sorry. Hawks Bay. It has an expectancy about what you can do for them. When they show up at the door, they go, well, maybe I'll get a gas card, or maybe I'll get a, Food voucher, that's good. You know, those are good things. We're helping people. I I know my heart doesn't work, and I know that my leg's, you know, out of order, and I can't get a job because of my health, but if I go to the church, I can expect some mercy there. 
You see, the world has an expectation of what the church can do in this hour, in our generation. This lame guy did. Peter and John walks by. He's at the church. He has an expectation of what they can do for him. You there? He has an expectation. But Peter and John have just been with Jesus, and they have a whole different expectation, and they're about to change the expectation of the world about what the church can do when you bring sick folk, hurting folk, depressed folk, down and out folk there. You there? They're about to change the expectation. Watch this. This is what he says. Peter says, silver and gold, food vouchers, gas cards. I do not have. But what I do have, victory at the gates, the name of Jesus, the power of his word, the power of his blood, the power of his name, the power of the Holy Spirit. What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The battle was at the gate, wasn't it? The battle's at the gate. I'm going to tell you, you're going to go through victories in your life. This church is going to go through victories, and I'm telling you, the enemy is going to come right back around and try to prove to you that you didn't win. But it's just a facade. It's just a, it's just a desperate act. It has no power in it. It's just something to test you to see if you're going to give up or if you're going to enforce the victory. Listen, Peter could say, what I have, I give you, if he didn't have something to give. You with me? He had something to give. So right at that very moment, the entire New Testament church changed the expectation of the entire world and the community about what the church could do at the gates. Hey, hallelujah. It gets better. One more scripture. One more. Turn over to Acts 12. We'll wrap up here. Get you out on your... Family time. I know about these things. I pastored a lot of years. I know. So, so hold steady. We're about there. But you've got to get this last part. Acts chapter 12 is a very interesting passage of Scripture because uh, Peter's been put in prison. He's scheduled to be beheaded. He's scheduled to be killed. And uh, there he is. And, and, and uh, I'll just start in verse 3, read down some things for you because I think they're absolutely astounding. Verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, talking about King Herod, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, verse 4, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, if you just read over that just like I just did, there'd be no big hmm-ha about it. But you've got to catch this. When King Herod had Peter arrested, some skinny little fisherman from Galilee. You with me? He arrested him with not one, not two, not three, but count it, four squads of soldiers, mean, ornery, whoo, powerful, four squads of Roman soldiers to arrest one little guy. What in the world was going on? I'll tell you what's going on. When Jesus came out of that tomb, he changed the expectation of what God could do through one man at the tomb. Because all those Roman soldiers were laid out, filleted out, and couldn't move, and Jesus walked right out in the midst of them. 
And they knew that Peter had been with Jesus. They're like, ooh, he could be one of those. There's nothing we can do to contain him, so let's send four squads of soldiers. Come on, church. When is the government going to be afraid of you instead of you being afraid of the government? Come on. When? 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 Four squads of soldiers. Change the expectation. Whoa, Jesus changed the expectation of the Roman government about one guy, what he could do at the gate. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. And then it gets better. Look at verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. No way. I've never heard of that in the 21st century. Constant prayer offered by the church. I thought they only prayed on Mondays and Wednesdays from 10 to 10, 15. Constant prayer? Constant prayer was offered by the church to release Peter? Why do you think constant prayer was offered by the church? I'll tell you why. The church had a change of expectation about what the power of God could do at the gate. They knew the gate couldn't hold back the message or the messenger. There was a change of expectation. Come on, you there? Change of expectation of what could happen at the gates. So here we go, on down. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the doors were keeping prison, keeping the prison. Now watch how God answers prayer. This will blow your mind because this is going to happen in your life. You're going to see this. This is how God's going to answer your prayer. Watch verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Are you kidding me? They prayed that Peter would be released, and God said an angel Is that in the Bible? It is. Do you believe God can answer your prayer by sending an angel? Hey, come on, start believing. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, and he raised him up, and he said, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Supernatural. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, no way. Now we've got angels talking to Peter. This is too much. Don't you know this is the 21st century? You don't believe in angels or demons? Come on, give me a break. I'm just reading the Bible. Am I reading the Bible? I'm reading the Bible. If you have an issue, take it up with God. He, he had it written. An angel said to him, gird yourself and tie in your sandals. Comb your hair, brush your teeth. Come on, get up. No, he didn't. It's not, that's not in there. But anyway. And so he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Can I just tell you that angels were so prevalent in the life of the New Testament church that Peter didn't know if what he was happening to him was just really being done by an angel or if it was a vision. He couldn't tell which was which because angels were so common among the people in that day. And they will be again in the days to come. It's not the end of the angels among us. It's the beginning again. We're just getting now a grid work to actually say, well, okay, maybe that might be all right. That's a good place to begin. At least you're beginning. I'm not telling you to worship angels. We don't do that. But I'm telling you that they're willing to be among us because God loves to display his power. But can I just tell you, he'll only display his power to the level that you believe. Hey, Jesus. Anyway, watch this. Verse 10. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the, here it is, iron gate that leads where? 
no other place but to the city. Can I just tell you, brothers and sisters, that in this city and in this region, there is a spiritual gate that leads to this city, and somebody's in charge of it, and I pray it's the church. Because that gate is either holding back the message and the messenger, or it's open and the message and the message is going out. Peter was the messenger carrying the message. And this iron gate was holding him back. His calling, his purpose, his destiny. Are you there? This gate, this issue of the gate, the battle is at the gate. This gate was holding back Peter. Everything was fine. Supernatural experience in the prison. Chains fell off. He got dressed. Everything's good. They're going out. And what did they come to? There it is, a gate. Now, what are they going to do at the gate? What's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he has a supernatural angel with him. Something's going to happen at that gate. Something's going to happen. And trust me, Peter knows the battle at the gate. Do you think Peter ever forgot that he was the one back there in Matthew 16 that said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you think he ever forgot that, that Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail? Do you think Peter forgot that? I don't think so. So here comes Peter, and it's not a wooden gate that he can break. It's not a gate with big bars he can jump through. It's an iron gate that leads to the city. Now, this is the amazing thing. When he walked up to it, it says this. He walked up to it, and the gate, when he walked up to the gate, the Bible says it opened of its own accord. You get it? The gate opened of its own accord. Nobody touched it. Nobody did anything to it. What's the deal? I'll tell you what the deal is. That gate knew that it had been prevailed over by the Spirit of the living God that was in that man approaching it. And so that man approached the gate. The gate says, whoa, that's the Spirit that defeated all the gates of Hades. Oh, come right through, sir. I will not detain you any longer. (laughs) So they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod, and watch this, and from the expectation of the Jewish people. I'm telling you, when you understand that you have victory at your gate, it will change not only your expectation, but the expectation of all those around you. Can I tell you this morning, precious brothers and sisters who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not a gate in this world that is strong enough to contain you or your calling, your dreams, your God-given purposes. There's not a gate that can withstand you if you understand that you have victory at the gate. If you understand that you have power over the gate. Are you there? Are you with me? Come on. I'm trying to get you into your dreams this morning. I'm trying to not have your dream like something that's far off, something that's unattainable. Listen, if it's a God-given calling and dream in your life, that gate's going to give, it's going to open. It can't withstand you. So I'm telling you this morning, it's time to to name your gate. It's time to look at your gate. Listen, you you don't need to die behind that gate. You need to come alive and go to the gate. And begin to speak to the gate and declare that that gate has no power over you. You need to declare the victory of God at that gate. And I tell you, did I tell you that God loves to display his power? 
Did I tell you that? I just want to make sure you got that this morning. God loves to display his power. He loves to. He's not stingy. Did you ever notice that when he, you know, fed the 5,000 or the 4,000 when he broke the bread and the loaves and the fishes? Did you ever notice he didn't walk up to this guy and goes, oh, you get the eyeball and uh, you get the tail. Oh, I like you. Here, you can have the, oh, I'll give you the whole fish. And, uh, oh, hi, ma'am, you can have some bread. Do you notice he didn't say that? The Bible says he fed everybody all they wanted until all of them were full, and then he took up 12 baskets left over. Do you know if there was 13 disciples there, he would have took up 13 baskets? If there was 14 disciples there, he would have took up 14 baskets? What's the message? God loves to display his power, and if you're willing to display his power, not only will he display his power and liberate a people, there'll be enough in there for you, not only for that moment, but for days to come. Loves to display his power. Hallelujah. What are we doing behind these gates? What are we doing? We have victory over the gates. Is that right? We have victory. I just want to do something with you this morning. I want everybody to stand up, if you would, please. And I just want to do a prophetic act today. I just, I don't want you in just a moment, just to, just to, I'm going to, I'm going to have you just take a step forward, even if it's a tiny step behind your seat. But I want you to do it because I want you to exercise your faith and I want you to name your gate right now. Just in your heart, in your mind, what's your gate? What's holding you back from your purpose? Is it relationship? Is it finances? Is it education? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a distance? Is it a region? What's holding you back? What's holding you back? What's that barrier? Can you name it? If you can name it, you can own it. If you can name it, you can go through it. I'm telling you, our God is a mighty God. And He has given us victory over every gate. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Is there sickness in your body? Is that your gate? Is there disease? Is that your barrier? Come on. You feel like you're dying behind your gate? I'm telling you, the power of Christ is here. The resurrection power of the Holy Spirit is here to raise you up and to cause you to walk through your gate this morning. Every gate is going to be torn down. Every gate is going to be opened in your life today. And I want you tomorrow morning, even this afternoon, to go to your place of education, your place of work, your family, wherever it is that these gates are holding you back. And I want you to go and just pretend like that gate's not there. I just want you, and you don't have to pretend, just it's not. Don't fake it, just faith it, just walk through it. And establish and declare your purpose and watch God's power show up, and you're going to see supernatural provision, breakthrough, demonstrations, liberations. Come on, there's going to be an exodus from your Egypt and a passing through and an entrance into your promise because God is the God of the breakthrough, and there has been a great victory at the gate. I'm telling you, Easter is such a powerful message. Sin can't keep you away. Death can't keep you away. Destruction, it can't keep you. Do you have your na- gate? You got it named? All right, we're just going to take a step. I'm going to count just to three, and we're just going to take a step. And I want you to see yourself on the other side of that gate. And Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, as they step through these gates this morning, Lord, that the moment they step through, that the heavens would unleash and release every provision and all of your power 
God, we are declaring that the gates of the enemy shall not prevail over our lives, over this house, over this church, over this region, over this city. God, we're giving notice this very day that the gates of hell are coming down and that the gates of righteousness and justice are going up and that the saints are going to take their place at the gates and there's going to be a transfer in the atmosphere, a shift of the atmosphere. There's going to become righteousness and justice and blessing and the promises of God and breakthrough and breakout and release And a generation of overcomers are rising up this morning and overcoming in Jesus' name. I want you to overcome on the count of three, step through, and break through. Because the God of breakthrough is going before you. One, two, three, let's break through. Jesus, break out, break free, be released, overcome. Lord, let your provision come. Break through, come. Break through, come.